0: listening to the believe in dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs, and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode six of the Believe in Dog podcast, and happy new year. I'm so excited for 2020, as there's so much I want to share with you this year about how the love of dogs is changing our lives and changing the world. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to do so, and I'm really grateful that you're listening. If you're thinking that, is the love of a dog really changing the world, Erin, is that a bit much? I hope that listening to my talk today with Annie Pruitt of Charm City Companions will help show you exactly how someone's love of dogs is changing the world for Baltimore's pet owners and helping spread compassion through the community, and I believe that having compassion for others will make our world a better place. With so much focus these past few weeks on the end of a decade, I've spent some time reflecting on the last 10 years now that we're entering 2020. In some ways it seems like my life hasn't changed all that much. I live in the same house. I'm still married to my husband. I work in the same field professionally, and I'm still volunteering with Be More Dog, just like I was 10 years ago. One of the biggest changes would be that we lost Lucy and Kalua, our dogs, uh, both in 2015, and then adapted Penny in 2015, and then Nino in 2016. But despite the fact that it might sound like not all that much has changed for me over the last 10 years. In a lot of ways, I actually feel like I'm a very different person than I was 10 years ago. I'm actually a much happier person. And if I had to explain to you how or why I became a happier person, I would have to say that a lot of it is around releasing judgment and having more compassion for others. And a lot of this was inspired through my work in the community with Be More Dog. One thing that I found in the shelter world and animal rescue world or anyone who's dealing with the pet overpopulation issue, there's sort of a people suck kind of mentality sometimes. And I understand this, and I was totally guilty of this myself, especially 10 years ago. I thought that irresponsible people were the cause of so many problems, and I had so many stereotypes in my head about who these irresponsible people were, and what they were doing, and how they were creating problems. But the really good news is that I was wrong. And I'm really happy to say that. I talked some in episode one of the podcast about the work that I do in the community with Be More Dog. The organization Be More Dog, uh, we host these pop-up wellness clinics around Baltimore City. We go to various neighborhoods where there is not a lot of access to resources. We call these underserved communities. And you'll also hear Annie use the term disconnected communities. And we hold pop-up wellness clinics. We have veterinarians who volunteer their time with us. Because if you don't have a car, it's kind of difficult to get your pet to a veterinarian. But it's more than just seeing a veterinarian. We have free leashes and collars. We have a partner organization that does free microchipping We have been partnering with the Maryland SPCA and the charitable branch of VCA animal hospitals called VCA Charities, and this partnership provides free dog food and more to the clinic attendees. But honestly, the best thing about the clinics is getting to meet people and hear their stories. And we hear really interesting stories about how people have obtained their animals. Sometimes people wake up and find a dog tied up in their yard. Sometimes people are taking in a neighbor's dog when their neighbor got evicted. Sometimes someone's taking in someone's dog who went to jail. I call all of these types of situations informal rescue. Because it's rescue, but without the support of a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And I find these stories so inspiring because it seems sometimes that it's those of us who have the least who are willing to give of themselves the most. And it's not like I just heard one of these stories one time. Over the past nearly 10 years, I've heard hundreds and hundreds of these stories. If you've listened to episode three of the podcast with Michelle Soraki of Brew City Bully Club, I gave a little bit of background in the beginning of that episode about how I had first gotten connected with Michelle back in the 2010 to 2011 timeframe when her organization, Brew City Bully Club, and my organization, Be More Dog, were both building our pet owner support programs with resources through the Humane Society of the United States former program called End Dogfighting which is now called Pets for Life. Our guest today, Annie Pruitt of Charm City Companions, literally wrote the book on the Pets for Life program. Annie worked for 20 years in the field of communications and market research when the company she worked for got a contract with the Humane Society of the United States to help them develop the Pets for Life program. And the Pets for Life actually changed Annie's life. Annie and I will talk about her background and how her Humane Society of the United States work then inspired her to start Charm City Companions. Annie also talks about how her own pets were such a support to her after a difficult change in her life and relationship, and this experience made her realize how pets are so important to all of us, regardless of our socioeconomic status, and this just inspired her even more to make her life's work to help support this bond between people and their pets. Annie and I also talk about how our own judgments and perspectives have changed and shifted over the years and how we would love to see more compassion for people in the pet welfare community. And then Annie shares some stories of the people that she has met through her work with Charm City Companions as she goes door to door in East Baltimore, knocking on doors to talk to people about their pets just one more thing before we get started talking to Annie. I wanted to explain some of the Baltimore specific references that Annie and I mention for anyone who's not from Baltimore. Annie's program, Charm City Companion, works on the east side of Baltimore City in neighborhoods known as McEldery Park and also Elwood Park, which are kind of right next to each other. When Be More Dog started doing our wellness clinics back in 2011, Elwood Park was the location of our second ever clinic that we hosted, and we've continued to go there at least once every year, sometimes twice, because it's usually one of our biggest clinics of the year. We will often help around 140 dogs in about a three-hour time period, and people in the Elwood Park neighborhood will start lining up to receive services before we even get there in the morning. Something that I always find to be such a great irony is that if you've ever heard of the Johns Hopkins Hospital, which is a world-renowned teaching hospital and biomedical research institution with a budget of about $7 billion, I just looked that up, Johns Hopkins Hospital is located about eight blocks away from the McCuldery Park neighborhood. Meanwhile, according to census statistics, about 56% of children in McEultery Park are living below the poverty line, and the median income is about $29,000. McCaudery Park has also been known as a very violent neighborhood with many shootings and murders. And there's actually an organization that operates in the area called Safe Streets, where former gang members and ex-offenders will actually reach out to the community and try to mediate disputes before they turn to violence. One other thing that Annie and I mentioned during our talk is what's called the Baltimore butterfly, and I will post a link in the show notes to a map that will illustrate this. But just real quick, this is referring to the pattern of impoverished neighborhoods in Baltimore. If you plot them out on a map, the highest concentrations of poverty are on the east side of Baltimore and the west side of Baltimore in a distribution that sort of looks like a butterfly because meanwhile sort of the center of Baltimore is where there is the highest amount of income and investment in the community. So now let's get started talking to Annie Pruitt, the executive director and co-founder of Charm City Companions in Baltimore City. Thank you for being with me, Annie. Hello, and thank you for having me. So, I've always wanted to learn more about your story, and I'm so, um, I respect and admire the work that you're doing so much, and I can't wait to hear more about it and share that with the listeners. Well, thank you. Um,
1: so, um, as you know, Charm City Companions is a community wellness organization, is what I prefer to refer to it as. Um, although, we're registered technically as an animal welfare organization. I, I strongly consider animal welfare and pet wellness a part of family wellness, and so um, and that all is a really big part of communities and what we see as the components to community wellness. So it all works together.
0: I love that. I love that viewpoint. So, take me back to the beginning. Um, so you said you are not from
1: Baltimore, is that correct? I am not from Baltimore. I am from Michigan. Uh, I moved here to Baltimore in 1989, so I guess 30 years ago now. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, I still and think
0: the 80s were like 10
1: years ago. <laughs> I, the 80s were 10 years ago, I know. In my mind's eye as well. Um, but yeah, I moved here um, from a small town to Baltimore City. So it was a big change. I, once I was exposed to a bigger city than where I grew up, I, I couldn't you know, set my future there.
0: <laughs> um, so when you were a kid, did you grow up with animals? Did you have a lot of pets? I did
1: grow up with animals. Um, we had dogs. Um, There were a lot of kids running in and out of my home. Um, I was raised one of 12 children. Wow. uh, There were were so many of us. And uh, some of us, um, or some of my uh, older siblings, I was at the bottom of the pack, lived with their father. And so there weren't always that many people around, but there were always animals running in and out literally because the door was always swinging open. Um, so there was no way to contain them in or out. Um, and it's so funny because now I think about dogs running outside and running around, and if the yard's fenced in, that's great, but um, that wasn't the case at all. Um, I remember one of our dogs, this little dog, Suki, was a Lhasa Apso, and she was just terminally pregnant. I remember constantly puppies being wow. churned out of this. Like she she basically was a puppy mill dog. <laughs> I need to admit it. But I didn't, I just, you know, I had no idea. I don't know why. You just thought that was normal. She just, yeah, that's, this is what she did. And um, the puppies were cute and it was fun, but they were always around. Um, we had some other dogs. We had a, a big Samoyed and um, a German Shepherd that wasn't friendly. I remember thinking... I think that that dog might have even been tethered. So I think about all these things now that are I'm trying to have conversations with people about, not necessarily judge them, because if somebody would have judged us, that would have been... Um, it wouldn't probably have been taken um, in a productive way. I think Absolutely, you, you get more defensive Absolutely. and frustrated, and you know clearly there was just too much going on in that house for my parents to manage the animals. Right. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that they were you know these terrible, rotten, abusive people, people either. Right. right.
0: Right. No, I, I thank you for sharing that. You know, I think some of us do have stories like that. And when we get involved in animal welfare work, you <laughs> almost don't want people to know that, you know, maybe you were one of the people doing the wrong thing. And, you know, and I, I'm always um, so supportive of people lower, learning and growing and changing. And, and like I try to never judge, you know, anybody because, you know, we like I said, I certainly wouldn't want them judging me. And I'm Right, <laughs> we're doing exactly. And we're doing the best we can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I do... Um, you know, in the animal welfare world, I wish there was sort of more more compassion sometimes, instead of the judgment. And I get that when you're seeing the result of the animals, uh, you know, sometimes you just get very angry at the at the human, you know, but but I think it's not going to change from anger and judgment is only going to change through compassion and through the work, like the type of work that you're doing.
1: Oh, great. I think you're spot on. Um, I do see a lot of judgment and, um, I see an evolution in people dissolving that when they come to work with us. Um, I actually had a conversation with my, um, Outreach Manager Corey the other day, and um, we have somebody new that um, I think you know, Jeannie. Oh yes. Um, and, and she's getting into more and more involvement with Charm City Companions. I love that. It's so great because she is such a doer. Yes. I mean, you know, she's like our kind of people, right? Yes. <laughs> and um, so we really want to, you know, I keep using this term asset. I was using with you earlier. We really want to manage those assets and and not um, put. Jeannie or anybody else into a situation where they it, they could be confronted with the need to be judgmental. Um, and so there are a few scenarios that we've talked through with her and Corey and I can see that I've been doing this for about five years. She's been doing this for about two years and Jeannie's fresh in it and where we are in our stages of um, just awareness and you know development in being able to not have judgment and find out in, I I mean, I don't even want to say nine out of 10. I want to say, you know, 99% even so that there's something going on in the home that is happening and causing people these, when we're not treating our animals or other people in relationships well, that's just a symptom of something that's going on that's deeper and more important than we we need to get to.
0: Right.
1: Um, So I don't... Necessarily hold people responsible maybe as much as I should sometimes, so I do get into that debate with other animal welfare people because I see the people in this equation as much as as the animals right um, so that was kind of a long tangent on that, but no,
0: I think it 's an important conversation to have um, so how did you get into doing all of this type of work i 'm so curious yeah, so um,
1: profiting and animal welfare field are two things that are very new to me. Um, About 10 years ago, I was working with a full-service communications firm, and we were called um, by a colleague of mine to see if we were interested in talking to folks at the Humane Society of the United States about doing a campaign, a spay-neuter campaign campaign. They had never worked with a a traditional agency. So what kind of
0: uh, job did you have at that time?
1: So I was a research director for the ad firm. Okay. And uh, my partner and partner at the time was the creative director and owner of the firm. So we went to Gaithersburg and met with them. And um, they had no idea how tiny we were. And they were colossal. But they just didn't have experience of vetting firms. And so they gave us a shot. And we ended up uh, working on about a $2 million campaign that was funded by Maddie. Fund. Um, That is a a really generous animal welfare funder um, that backs a lot of spay-neuter initiatives and things like alternatives to intake for shelters. Um, So they they invested in us as a team and we went to the South and I learned all about spay-neuter and overpopulation and euthanasia and um, just the culture of markets and how animal welfare folks work together. And what I saw immediately, because I'm I'm, I'm very um, attuned to this when I see it, is friction and competition and stress. But from my lens, I could see that everybody was in it for the same reason. They all, at the end of the day, wanted so many animals to stop being euthanized in the shelters and roaming homelessly in the streets of Louisiana, Mississippi. Uh, so we developed a, a Awesome. Kick-ass campaign. Oh, I can say that, can't I? Can I say? Okay. (laughs) Um, It was a numbers campaign where we compelled the Humane Society and local shelters to reveal their actual numbers. Um, It's not something that had been done because people didn't want to be vilified. The shelters didn't want to be vilified by the community by saying, oh, we're putting down 92,000 animals a year, which is the numbers.
0: Wow! Yeah, it was
1: pretty shocking numbers. So we did that. We said, you know, look, this is a community issue. Um, you know, we we all need to do this. And so the campaign did reveal those numbers, and the call to action was please spay neuter. We learned then that it still wasn't enough. There is still this segment of folks who are uncounted. You see these um, big pet surveys and it says, oh, 85% of the people in this country alter their animal. They get their their dog or cat spayed or neutered. Well, no, it's not that. That's the the people who go to the vet and can afford to self-advocate and get wellness for their animals but there's a whole population of folks that are not counted who do not go to the vet and are not altering their animals. And in fact, we found it's the exact reverse, but 85% of those folks do not alter their pets. Wow! So with all this information, we decided to develop a, a toolkit and um, we worked closely with HSUS, Humane Society, to put together both design it and develop content for this toolkit. So I brought to it my research background um, and my experience of working in disconnected communities. Um, I had done work with un- in disconnected communities with other brands, if you will, of things that were non-animal related, like supplemental tutoring, uh, mental health care in disconnected communities, which was a complicated thing to introduce because there's a lot of stigma around it. Right. Oh, are you broke? Right. Why can't you? Or the church can help us. You know, right. Therapists weren't necessarily gleaned as someone who's truly genuinely going to help me. So I understood sensitivity. And I also learned that if you just approach people in their community where they are, meet them where they are, and have a conversation that you can really get a lot more work done. you can you can partner with the people that you're interested in in supporting. And so at the time I was doing some conferences talking about this work, how non-judgment and conversation is the key. and came to Baltimore, came back home, and wanted to work with you know some of the organizations here. And the only organization at the time that was really doing the kind of work that I wanted to do was Be More Dog, frankly. Um, Pauline, the
0: director, came to one of the conferences where right. I was, was. I think that was back in 2013. I was looking it up today. Just yeah. Because I so, was trying to figure out oh how my long ago. Six years that was, ago. I right. can't even believe that. So we had started our clinics uh, in the fall of 2011, I think. And then. We, uh, yes, when we had heard about the Pets for Life program um, with the HSUS, she wanted to go to the conference. And then I remember she met you at the conference because you had given the seminar. And then we found out that you were you know, looking to come to Baltimore too.
1: Yeah. So initially I felt like, wow, maybe you guys could do this, but um, everybody had full-time jobs. Right. and yeah. As did I, but I... You know, I had the Kool-Aid, and I was like, I have to do this. I have to be attached to this. I felt like the city was ready. Initially, I wanted to support someone else trying to do it, but nobody had the bandwidth Mm -hmm. at the time. As far as pets and how pets have impacted this... I had two animals when I started Charm City Companions, and they were both... And I am very emotional when I talk about my animals. We all are. Yes. (laughs) um, They're really... uh, I tend to be a much more pragmatic person with a kind of more of a logical versus creative brain a lot of the times. Well, traditionally, I felt like I see that's how my life has been. Um, But I also believe that everybody has this creativity and this creative side about them. So I'm I'm trying to explore that more. But having a really tight relationship with an animal was something that before I got my animal, I I got it. And I loved animals and I got attached to my my sister's animals or people I was living with, but I never had my own. And so I got my dog. Um, She was a gift from someone who gave her to me from... They adopted her from Maryland SBCA for me, and um, she was a little um, cutie pie. I named her Polly because she was polyethnic. I, I think she's lab chow or something. Who knows what she was? I never tested. I don't care.
0: I've never, I've never tested mine. Either. Yeah, just
1: like whatever. So she was my sidekick. I was fortunate to be able to bring her to work and everywhere, and she was attached to me all the time, like my girl. Um, and then I got a cat, um, who was the cat that has, you know, belonged to a college student and she couldn't take care of it. No, well, can you take my cat, Ipa, you know, if I move home? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well then all of a sudden she moved home months later and there was the cat as our office cat. So I had these two animals in my life. Um, the cat ended up getting sick and coming home with me. So he stayed home with me. His name was Ipa. Um, and they cohabitated with me and, I just remember being so grateful whenever I felt sad or lonely or, you know, something wasn't right, that I would just snuggle with my dog. And, and I didn't have to go far to snuggle with her because she knew, and she would come to me and snuggle with me. If I was sick, she would come and snuggle with me. They know my cat not they know they know, and my cat not so much until later, which is a whole other thing learning about cats, but when I started this work, one of the biggest things people would push back on, and when I first heard this, I wasn't really sure how to confront it because I thought it was a compelling argument, which I completely disagree with now, and that is if you can't afford your pet, you shouldn't have a pet
0: right that's you hear that a lot, yes.
1: But you have your pet, so you have to figure out how to take care of your pet, regardless if you can afford it the way we think you should afford it
0: right, because yeah you know, what does what does afford mean? What does <laughs> afford mean?
1: Um, I remember when I first started this work, someone said, "You know, I love this work because I go into people's homes and we support them and these animals have more love than those animals that I know neighbors in the county where I live have where they just let their dog out the dog door and they don't really pay attention to their animal. They feed their dog They let their dog out, they walk their dog, they pick up their poop after their dog, but they don't really sit and snuggle and have conversations and, you know, which is fine. That's a different lifestyle for that, in a different relationship. Um, But the love that is given to these animals that I also find are a strong majority of the time taken in from others who have been evicted or moving. It's been abandoned in a building, Uh, on the street, I think there's a, a really keen ability to identify with struggling, and so, so many of our pet owners, and I don't know if you found this at the events, they haven't had animals before, yes. and now all of a sudden they found themselves, they didn't go out, like, seeking, like you guys yeah. hadn't had, you hadn't
0: had an animal before, but you went out and seeked an animal, right. they're not, right. and they take them in, and uh, that's something I had tried, I, tr- I do try to talk about. Um, as we see so much, we call it informal rescue um, in, you know, the underserved communities where we have our clinics. And that goes against sort of, I don't know, the stereotype, the common assumption that, oh, the, you know, people in these neighborhoods, are they have money to buy in, you know, a dog from a breeder but not take care of them. But yet, you know, we just hear, that's not, that's not our experience actually in the neighborhood. And, and these are people who wake up one morning and there's a dog tied up in their yard. Yep, they yeah, like you said like their their neighbors getting evicted. Uh, they don't want to call animal control, you know. We had a story one time of a, a a mother whose whose son had been killed and she took in his dogs because it was like this connection to him. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, absolutely. You know, and these are people who don't have a 501c3 nonprofit. They're not on Facebook doing fundraisers, driving to Maryland SPCA filling a van with food. <laughs> And they don't they don't know about these resources and they're you know they're struggling to keep a roof over their head. Sometimes they're feeding the animal before they're feeding themselves. I just wish I could like scream that from the rooftops, you know. It's just it's not what you think. <laughs> it's not what you think. And I do
1: feel like I scream it from the rooftops, but it's so funny even as we sit and share and talk about it now, it's so clear in my mind and so completely the opposite in other people's minds. So what is the conversation to try to be able to let people know what is really happening um, and keep them listening and not sound like we're full of
0: shit? Right. <laughs> and you know, I, I'm I'm not good at that. Um, you know, I, I'm not somebody that's going to get into like a Facebook comment war with somebody. You know, likewise. Um, and and I just you know say that you know. That's my experience. I'm not very good at being very confrontational with that kind of thing. I'm not really good at being confrontational either, and I'm trying to
1: be more poised in that argument so that it doesn't elevate emotions and right. deter people from wanting to have the conversation. Right. Um, I find a lot of people, just just like with humans, they they... Uh, you know, it's like not in my backyard. It's hard to believe. And then if you decide to believe it, then you feel compelled to do something about it or you feel crummy about yourself. And I don't think that has to be the case. I think that if you just
0: change your mind and admit it,
1: that that is the first step.
0: Oh my gosh. In just all of our culture and society in general, I wish it was more okay for people to change their mind. Change your mind. And you don't have to dig in deeper. You don't have to entrench yourself. You don't have to double down and be afraid of having been wrong. Like when new information comes, you know, into your awareness, it's okay to change your mind. It is okay,
1: <laughs> and it's very uncomfortable. Um, I've been actually in just a lot of my um, personal health care and. Uh, self-care over the last few years, that's one thing that has been really helpful to me is that um, I can be open-minded and not believe in everything that I've been told all my life or that what everybody... And not live my life the way everybody expects or thinks I should, would, could. And um, I've really embraced that and it's been very liberating. So... I love that. It, it is it's, it's, it's so helpful to me um, in this work. Um, The animals that people have, this place would be Baltimore City. People hear about it and they're like, oh, Baltimore. You live in Baltimore? This place would be a lot worse if people didn't have their animals. I agree. In disconnected communities. I go and I do transports from these neighborhoods at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning, between 6 and 7, picking up. And I see people all over the neighborhood where we've worked, mostly Elwood, around Elwood the most out of all the areas. The little pockets where we've really uh, dug deep, um, they are out. And this is my vision: is you know, pre-work, you guys and us out into these in these communities, really just doing it all the way, not just going in and being one-offs. You guys have been there ten years; it'll be 10, ten years, years next yeah. year. And we've been there five years. Before that, people were not out walking their dogs around and talking to each other and communicating and sharing stories. And now they are. I, I take pictures now all the time when I walk through on Jefferson and near Elwood Park, seven o'clock in the morning while all the kids are getting ready and have their backpacks, you know, waiting them to the ground because they're too big. Right. There <laughs> yeah. are people walking their dogs and there are pits and there are Shih Tzu's and Yorkies. And sometimes I see people trying to walk their cats, but they talk to each other. Right. And um, that, that is why I do this work. I, because it's people, it's going to build healthier communities.
0: One of the like happiest moments, um, I'm trying to, there was a day when my husband and I were driving to work together. We were driving through, um, Orleans, you know, coming into the city and I saw somebody, um, right around like Orleans and, um, where Elwood would cross and, they had one of our bright orange leashes yes. that they were walking their dog that's with. great. And I was like, oh my God, that's one of our yes. leashes and somebody's actually using it. And I was like, I mean, it literally made my day. It oh, like,
1: absolutely. So we go out after this event that you guys do, and we see all kinds of stuff you guys do. The leashes... The collars. Um, we did an event this year where we did name tags, we're really into name tags. That might be something cool for you guys next year, because Maryland SPCA does have a portable name tag maker. And keeping name having name tags on animals is like the number one way to keep them with their owners when they get lost. So oh, something man. and people have this sense of pride when they get, you know, a name tag with their name and so um, yeah, people really love the services and um, you know, like again, I just feel like I, when I um, went through something for personally, for me, it was traumatic. You know, I always like, I, I should accept my own trauma and pain because it was painful for me, but I think about it compared to what some people go through. But at any rate, but we can't compare. No, we can't no. compare. And um, but what I did have and I needed at that time was my dog. And um, I had. A lot of days where I just didn't feel like getting up in the morning. and um, But if you don't get up in the morning when you don't feel like it, what you do is you lay there and you think about stuff and it's way worse. So stand up, keep moving, <laughs> make your bed so you don't get back in it. And um, I got out and took a walk with my dog, 30 to 45 minutes every day in the woods for like a year. and. I know everybody can't do that and I was in a phase where I decided I was going to be super poor cuz I really c- couldn't work cuz I was too I was doing this work I wasn't getting paid to do this work and I my other job was just I couldn't deal. So I had to live on very little money and I was able to take the time that I wasn't working and I was focused on self-care. So being out in the woods with my dog and having that time it was everything and i just can't imagine i don't know how i would have gotten through it without her i mean it was a really strong bond that we had that helped me through it so even after that more so in the last 2 years it's it's been my mission to make sure number 1 that you know if people if there's any way to keep animals in their homes with our support I'm, we're going to do it And we've done all kinds of weirdo creative things to make that happen. That may seem like more work than it's worth in some cases, but we got to know the differences is that we know our clients. Every client that's ever had uh, interaction with us has been touched at least four to five times. And many have been touched a hundred times, you know, there's just, there are those clients. Um, and it touches a conversation right. or right. anything, uh, dropping, you know, driving by and throwing a bag of food over. Um, I think that what I had gone through in my life was traumatic. It was, it created a huge change. It was, it was difficult for me. Um, but the communities where we work, uh, to me, every day is traumatic. I think that you know we're in this um, phase where we respond to these natural disasters and these traumatic things that happen all over our country and are all over the world, and we have a disaster that is not natural right in our city and other cities, and it should be treated with the same emergency. Right. The same level of urgency. The same level of urgency. and. I don't think the solution is to take people's pets because they can't afford them. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's not that clear cut, but...
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, when you're, um, you know, you're living in poverty, you're um, maybe concerned about going out after dark for your own safety, or you're worrying about your children or your children are, you know, have to... You know, walk 10 blocks out of their way so that they can make sure they avoid the drug dealing blocks on their way home from school because they don't, you know, want to get. Absolutely. um,
1: Boarded up homes, walking by a boarded up house is unknown.
0: That's traumatic. And uh, yeah, if you can come home and have a dog and have just some kind of comfort and some kind of joy and some kind of emotional healing just oh my god people need that like what, yeah why we shouldn't be t- taking them away f- from them you know like that's another trauma it is another trauma
1: it's an absolute trauma and usually what that is associated with is a time when someone is has a pending eviction mm-hmm. and they call for help and they say you know is there any way someone could foster my dog or i need a little extra money be- to help with or i need extra food Those types of things where $13 a month makes a difference. Right. I mean, we can't imagine that, but that could be everything for somebody who is literally going by, well, this 50 cents is going to go toward this and that. And I know it's just unfathomable at this point in our economy, but that is the conversation that happens in these homes. Right. That's absolutely the reality for millions of people. And I also know that there are a lot of uh, animal welfare organizations that have food donated to them all the time because there's so many compassionate people out there and they don't know how to help. They can't get directly to help people. So, and they don't even know what kind of drastic measures people are going through when they need help with food. So, we can get that food and a lot of times that food can expire and be ruined. So, why wouldn't we just support people and, you know, spread it around?
0: And and we're talking about like there's a warehouse of food over here. But how somebody who doesn't have a car and who can't carry a 50 pound bag of dog food on a bus, you know, going to get there. It's impossible. Yeah,
1: it's absolutely impossible. I have noticed that like the dollar stores in some of those places in some of the disconnected neighborhoods are now starting to carry the better pet aisle. Right. Um, and stuff isn't. But again, if if you are 83 and you have a fourteen year old cat and you need cat litter and you don 't go on the internet you don 't know chewy i mean i don 't even know how people do it, that it you know it 's this beautiful community collaboration where someone has a, a van and they 're going to Walmart so they 'll try to you know all say, Oh well, I need this and I need that, and people help each other out but it 's a lot of coordinating it 's a lot of favors it 's a lot of uh, you know, um, bartering among neighbors, which is a cool thing that still happens. It keeps communities well knitted. But we like to be able to also add to that economy by alleviating some of the stress about animals and you know, people and, and also, you know, sometimes we have to tell people you call three one one and they will help you and they will come take your sick animal and that will no longer be your animal, but they know that someone is gonna come. They don't have to sit and watch that happen and You know, live through that, Um, and they know now there's a resource. That's I think our biggest, best service is just letting people know we're here for you if you want to have a conversation, and we can tell you where other resources are. We're not interested in carrying a big purse,
0: right? And I I think uh, this is actually something I've I've talked about before. Is uh, when I, I hate when you hear these stories, right? I'm like, oh there was this 14-year-old sick dog dumped at the shelter, you know. And uh, I guess I always think, well, maybe somebody brought them there because they knew they needed help and they knew the dog was sick and they, they didn't know that they had to agree to give up the dog to get it help. That's right. And And now they they're trying to do the right thing and you know if you read on on the facebook pages it, it sounds like oh this horrible person just getting rid of their dog and and you know again i just wish there was sort of a little more Compassion around the stories and the understanding and and the frame the way we're framing things, you know. <laughs>
1: I agree with you so much, and I have been teased a lot in my life for being Annie and sometimes um, even accused. I tell people this, and they can't believe it, but that I'm not very empathetic, and it's mostly because I do immediately go to the bright spot or what's the learning and i i've been spending a lot of time in the last few years trying to figure out from where that comes and i do understand that a lot better now and i like it i'm i'm going to stick with it because it's what feels right for me um but it in going back to what you're saying you know that example of oh this dog you know poor dog was left at the shelter and for, you know whatever what if we said so and so had to move could no longer keep their pet and bravely surrendered their animal and wants the best home possible and knew we would be able to find it. Who are you? Ugh, oh my and God, I'm getting help. choked
0: up just thinking about that. Right.
1: So, why wouldn't we want to help somebody versus, you know, oh, well, a terrible person, I'll show them, I'm going to take their pet and I'm going to give them the last three best years of their life, you know? That doesn't feel good for either party or anybody involved in that scenario. Mm. Um, I think that just. You know, treating people with more compassion and patience everywhere in our lives. Why do we decide to treat poor people a certain way differently than we treat people that the haves? And why do we treat our family member better than we do someone at the post office we're exchanging with? Um, we, we want we're giving and we want to receive something from all those relationships. So we should treat them all, you know, just the same with compassion. Oh. 100.
0: 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah, it's good. So I was curious, I know, um, part of the pets for life model was doing sort of like some market research of where is your help needed the most in the city? You know, Baltimore is a big geographic area. There's a lot of neighborhoods that need help. How did you decide to end up in Elwood Park, McEldery Park area? So we
1: did do what we refer to as a community assessment of Baltimore City, and we started out on my um, favorite thing in the world, doing a, an Excel spreadsheet. And <laughs> I got to geek out on um, you know, plugging in all kinds of metrics that we associate with poverty. And those are the obvious demographics. Uh, we pulled demographics, but um, other things that we did. Uh, was we were able to walk around neighborhoods and count the number of pet supply stores or, you know, like the the corner stores, did they have uh, pet supplies? Um, So we looked up those statistics as well. Recidivism rates for incarceration, incarceration rates, crime statistics, renting versus owning, um, and there are uh, you know where they are in baltimore it 's the butterfly, right, right. so uh, we did see both East Side and west side i at the time. And then it becomes, okay, so this is tells us we need to go into these zip codes. There were probably maybe 12 or 13 that really bubbled up to the top saying, oh, these, these clearly are... And we've uh, also folded in intake number uh, and euthanasia numbers as well. Mm-hmm. But we didn't want to rely on just that. And I'm glad we didn't now because I do see how we impact animal controls numbers and... Um, and Barks intake and how events like what you guys... So I don't know if I really trust the numbers just based off of what is coming into the shelter as far as what where we need to be out in the city. Right, right. Um, I think that when we first got into the neighborhoods we got into, the numbers probably bumped up because we were telling people, you need to call animal control. There was no relationship with animal control, no trust there. So we spent a couple of years really trying to reestablish trust between the resources out there and the folks who needed it and make it uh, trust and awareness. Um, so then on top of that, we looked at other organizations that were in the areas. Um, Two one two zero five. The zip code in general is what we selected, and there's an organization there that I'm. They have many branches now, but it's called Safe Streets. Yes, and also Be More Dog is there. Was there doing some um, pop up stuff, right. and you know some you know bits of uh, maintenance through the year. And so I felt like, well, why don't we join forces with these teams and really show what we can do if we all pay attention to one area? Okay. What can happen if we put a lot of resources? So we actually picked two zip codes. We launched in 05 Elwood Park area, but we picked two, and then that quickly because these other zip codes touch that zip code and we couldn't tell, you know, someone across so the street. Overlap, oh, you don't count. Right? So we really, we go by zip code, but we don't, you know, we, we keep knocking on doors until there is a block that doesn't have boarded up doors or whatever. We, we've just visually determined that. So we worked primarily on Side, and it works well to work that way because a lot of people know each other. And we can you know, really change the mindsets of folks in those communities. And there is a spay-neuter, not just spay-neuter, let me take that back because spay-neuter is not our priority and I always want to put that out there. It's wellness first. There is a wellness shift in that neighborhood. It is a priority now for people to get their animals vaccinated and altered if they choose to, um, tend to a vet need if that comes up now versus just hoping it'll go away because they do know that there are resources. And so they'll at least try. And we don't always have money to help people, but we can, again, have the conversation and piece it together. We're really kind of a mash unit a lot of times, just like pulling. And it's just the coolest stuff that we're able to get done because people are so generous and just care so much.
0: Would you um, share with everyone the story of Donald? Donald, yes. Is it okay okay to say his name? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because um, that's one, one of the other things that I, I love about your program is that not only are you just you know, going door to door and talking to people, but then you're then recruiting people from the neighborhoods to also go and then help their neighbors.
1: Absolutely. I, the, the people in the neighborhoods are a key component to this. Um, I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, I am white and I come from a privileged background. Um, I didn't grow up with money, but I grew up around people who had money. And I grew up resourced. Um, And so I kind of got the best of both deals because I know how to, you know, count my pennies and and respect my pennies, but I also, you know, can do what I want that costs a lot more than pennies. So um, with that, I really at first felt uh, separate from the communities where I work. And I now realize that that was just a personal mindset barrier. Uh, When we started first recruiting folks to work with us from the community, it started by something as simple as we go to a door in the morning and knock on the door at 7.30 to pick up an animal and no one's answering. And the other people in the neighborhood are like, oh, they're home, they're sleeping, I'll get them up. And then all of a sudden people are screaming up to the window. And, you know, because they've got a relationship and rapport and that really gave us credibility. Yeah, it was hilarious. I was like, (laughs) what is going on? Well, I can tell you this X number of years later, I'm the one screaming at the door. So, (laughs) Um, But, you know, that's how it starts. It it was such a natural, organic um, component to include and incorporate. It was what the vision was, but it actually... Rolled out quicker than we really planned. Um, I did initially try to hire um, somebody and even have some volunteers, and I had to learn a lot about that because uh, I struggle a little bit with this idea of having people volunteer who don't have anything. Like that, like, you know, that was a struggle. But then I learned that, and because it's no different for me as it is for Donald he lives in poverty. Um, He has cerebral palsy. He receives a a check for disability every month. It is not enough. He is the single father of three teenagers living in the home with him. And he does not have a full-time job um, or a uh, consistent means of income other than that check every month. And he wants to volunteer every day. And I'm some days I'm like Donald, you, can't, you know, no, you, you need to do something else. But um, you know, he just reminds me, and doesn't need to do much to remind me of how rewarding this work is, and how it really feels so incredible that it motivates you to go and do other things and be better and do more. Um, I've I have had the most productive five years of my life. Because of this organization, That's and wonderful. it's just, and I'm and I'm exhausted, but I'm getting more done. <laughs> I
0: know that feeling. Yes. I know that feeling. <laughs>
1: um, and Donald, you know, he has, he, you know, he's an animal guy. He's one of those people who is just so drawn and compassionate and. I don't know what that is or why, but he had a dog a couple or a year ago and when we first met him that he took in. His name's AJ, and he was just a mess. He's a pit bull type dog, and he was not friendly, not social, um, you know, all kinds of riddled with all kinds of things. So Donald reached out to us. Um we have a really good, uh, deep rooted presence in the area where Donald lives. It's uh just it's probably about Six blocks west of Elwood Park. Okay,
0: and um, and so you've been in the, you know the neighborhood for for several we years. We had been now, in the so neighborhood
1: for like four years before. So there's definitely like a
0: community awareness and trust. Word of is you. out,
1: right? Abs- hands down. I mean we we can't even. Sometimes we have to drive around that area because we get pulled <laughs> over. You know, there's it's a lot. There's a lot of need, and now that people know that's a you a know reason. a fluid resource that um you know they. They um, like they should take advantage of as much as they can. So Donald approached us with his dog, AJ, and we got AJ neutered and vaccinated. And then we were at the time engaging in a relationship with the Maryland SBCA. So we had some hours of their one of their trainer's time and expertise out in the field. So he came out with us, Stephen. He was wonderful. He came out into the neighborhood um and we did little pop up dog training, you know just basics, like how to loose leash walk your dog, you know how to put your what kind of leash and collar to use really basics.
0: I still struggle with loosely walking with my dogs.
1: Right. (laughs) All these things that we learned and I've learned, I did not do with my dog, just for the record. Um, We basically walked ourselves and off the leash and in the woods because (laughs) that's the way we had to roll. Um, But- This dog was, I, you know, I personally transported this dog for spay-neuter and it was kind of scary. And I, um, you know, I, I I am an animal person, but I'm not like, I am a people person. I am a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a living thing person. (laughs) So I don't, I don't gravitate to anything more than the other. I don't feel maybe people, but, um, but you're not like an expert dog handler. I am or not. Something, right? I w- and never would. I and I even say that now. in Erica and other um, really amazing people that volunteer their time, mind you, to go into the field. I'll always say, well, I don't know. You know, I don't really know about animals. And they're like, okay, you can't say that anymore. <laughs> but I am surrounded by people that are so brilliant and have such great instincts. And even if they don't know, they figure it out. And so I defer to them always. <laughs> I mean, I'll always have these smarter people around me. So I'm, I, it's hard for me to ever say that I could, you know, be the expert on animals, dogs and cats. Anyway, so Donald's dog, um, we had the trainer come over there, and uh, he did a few things. But basically, at the end of the conversation, was said, you know, oh, he's really challenging. You're going to have to really keep him away from kids and animals, and keep him tight. And you know, we'll keep working, and you keep working. So. Donald said, okay, you know, just that little bit of hope, you know, saying you just keep working with him. And he did. And can I tell you this dog today, I'm, I, I can't even believe it's the same dog. I, and this is an, uh, one of the reasons why, one of the many reasons why I feel like any being can change. Um, this dog was lungy and scared and skittish and just You've seen these types of pets oh, yeah. a mess, and now he's loving. Donald is unofficially, you know how you say, informal rescuer. He's an informal foster in the neighborhood. Um, and so people just keep dropping animals off at his door because word's gotten out that he's... He's the dog guy. That he's the dog guy. Every and neighborhood has
0: the dog every, guy.
1: And cat, they, all, everything. They, and, and he's so kind-hearted. He takes them in when really... He doesn't have any extra resources. No, he does not. And, um, but he just his heart's so open, and AJ welcomes all these animals in cats, oh, wow. dogs. He's fostered a feral cat with her kittens in the house. Wow! And AJ like all together.
0: Wow!
1: So and and introduced. And I'm
0: imagining this is. A- Tiny house, too. It's a small row home
1: in in East Baltimore. And you know how animal folks are oh, we can't integrate them. There's this process. And I get, and I respect that because I get anxiety about integrating animals. And I didn't do mine well. I did introduce them right away before I found out you're supposed to do it a certain way. I did it totally wrong. (laughs) You you don't just put them together. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, well, you know, we'll figure that out. Um, But, you know, he's really careful about it. And all the animals he takes in there, they just have they just like, they leave with this nice disposition. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, but I um, will continue if we could have everybody from the community running this organization. I, that's I would be cool with that. I would be so grateful to have a team of folks who know their community, know their neighbors. It makes much more sense. But I also recognize that we could have volunteers register to volunteer with us on any given day, and the floor could fall out. Right. And so we always approach our work that way. Um, we have to have at least two volunteers and uh, know that at least one's going to show up, so, um, but we always pretty much anticipate that someone might not, uh, because crazy things happen all the time. Uh, it's just a different world. Yeah. You know we'll have people who will say, um, "Yes, uh, confirm the night before." for a spay neuter appointment and we'll get there the next morning and they will not be there because they had to go to the hospital. They knew they were gonna to have to go to the hospital, but they didn't want to miss the appointment. And I just I'm always shaking my head at every time that something like that happens. Like, wow, this is you care so much. I mean <laughs> you just got checked into the hospital, but you made arrangements on your way out the door to make sure your pet got picked up for spay neuter. And then down the street, people think you don't care, right? Yeah, working with people in the community is critical. Um, It helps build credibility, and it also really helps us understand the true struggle that people go through. Um, But it's not all dismal either. You know, there's uh, folks in disconnected communities are the most positive people in ways, and the fight is so admirable. And it makes me half the time say to myself, get your shit together. All right? Like, really? You think you're, you're having, having a really? bad day, right? Okay. <laughs> so you had to get gas and it was 30 degrees right. out. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and you forgot your gloves. Right. <laughs> so what? It's just, I, Aaron, I cannot tell you how much. It just like really does fill me the work. And so I people say to me all the time, oh, it's amazing what you do. And, and I, you know, thank you because that's so sweet. Right. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't even really know what to say to that because the the monologue in my head is (laughs) so many people are doing great things. And as I continue to do this work, I am bumping into those people. And it's so motivating to keep wanting to do more. And some of those people are the people that we are supporting. They support us just as much. They give us information we could never have. I mean, I've had corner boys take me Three to four blocks around into alleys to show me where there are little kittens, you know, and leave their post. And that's their job, you know, that's their income, that's their livelihood. So I don't care what they're doing. They they're making a sacrifice in a very serious business to come and help us find some little kittens in an alley.
0: Right. So I mean, (laughs) do you have any other stories you'd like to share like that? Hmm.
1: But, you know, we just have endless stories about people who are so compassionate. I mean, you know, even, you know, Miss and all her animals. And that's another example of just, you know, feeling full of judgment at times. And even now working with her, I've known her for over four years, and I still fall into getting frustrated with so many animals in the house and being called on a lot. To help support that situation, and having to remind myself, um, okay, this is what this person's been through, and going back even further, and not to get too like down this tangent, and I won't on this at this time. <laughs> if you ever want to get on this again, but just the structural system that has held people back, and so i'm 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 grateful that I do have those feelings surface sometimes of judgment and frustration in people's situations where i'm I want that their situation to be better um, I remind myself now that just because I want that doesn't mean I'm being judgy. It means that I care about this person and these animals, and I'm stumped on how to get that situation better. Um, other than right. there being fewer animals in the home. But this person one is bonded to right. every single one of these animals, like intensely. Like nobody's going to have that relationship with those animals because cause they're hers and she's had them for so long. Even if they found a new home and they were happy. So, um, you know, that's that's a, a, a not much of a story but a
0: story-ish. One of, <laughs> you know... You're talking about when people say things like, "Oh, thank you, thank you for all the work you do." I, I don't know. I, I'm probably not very good at accepting compliments myself, but y- you know, I guess, like, I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, agree. You know? That's where I feel
1: it. Like, That's how I, I feel. Like,
0: I, there's a million. I wish I could do a million more things. I see the need for a million more things. I feel like I'm not doing enough. Well, and so now,
1: where I am with this work, I can't go backwards. I can't not mm-hmm. do this. And you know, there are more things I want to do, but I am trying to be very uh, present focused. And I also don't get caught up. Like I do have people who work on our team who are very, I think they may even lose sleep over all the work we could right. be doing. And, you know, oh, that one cat that's over there on that street with those people that needs this, you know, that kind of thing. Cause there is a lot of that. We do not get our list done every day. We do our, we rarely meet our list every day <laughs> because our list is only for today it 's there 's way more to add to that list as soon as
0: we get it and then once you 're in there it 's oh there 's all these other things it too. derails oh, right.
1: and if we use that kind of attitude in the work then we 're going to we 're always going to be end up on the top, and we do make a really good conscientious effort of every week say not, okay, what do we need to do next week? But okay, what do we get done this week? Let's go back over it. And then celebrate we're like, the win. <laughs> oh, we did what? You know, yeah, celebrate the win. And then there are all these things we plan to do. And then there are all these things that got thrown into there, like I said. So, um, and amazing things. Um, oh, yeah, a story I will tell you. So uh, this just happened last week. And I, it was one of those things where I just had a moment where I was just like, oh, I just love all these people. But um, there was a client who is... Super cool woman. She lives in um, near Elwood Park. And they, she and her partner have a dog and a cat, two cats. They have a uh, like an 11 month old pit bull type dog. Super, super cute. Um, They had a house fire a couple years ago and they just moved to Baltimore and they're rebuilding. And the one woman has a food truck, but she hasn't been able to get her food truck out and running because she 's trying to rebuild, so she 's got another job she 's a truck driver also, so she 's making money doing that and her um, I think her uh, partner works for maybe the government or something, and so they 're pulling it together, to getting it together, but things are you know they don 't have any furniture in their apartment or in their place and stuff like that, but the animals are you know very well taken care of, and uh, we support them in whatever way we can we 've altered their animals and you know some other things and The first time I met this woman, she was so chatty and we just hit it off. It was just like one of these, I believe now after the series of events that they, we were supposed to be brought together. So, and she just happens to be in our neighborhood where we work. So... A week ago, well, so when I first met her, she said, "Oh, I have a, you do this, and this is so cool." And I have a food truck, and I really want to help people who don't have homes, and you know, especially people who have pets who can't find housing. I'd love to eventually own a bunch of rentals in the neighborhood so that people with pets could rent them, and I wouldn't give them a hard time. And I'm like, "Oh, ah. this is so timely." I'm like, "We need to talk. I, you're, I love you. You are awesome." She continued to tell me about her catering and how she would love to, like, if we have events, she could cater. And if we need, you know, just like lovely connection. So months later, um, last week, she called us desperately. There were a gazillion phone calls on our um, our voicemail, in our Facebook page, all this stuff. And we don't check every single... Well, we do check every day, but our thing is three to five days. We give us that buffer to get okay. back right. to people. Um, but we do have some people scanning and doing work every day. So they're looking through voicemails, looking for things. And this obviously was coming up a gazillion times. Um, this woman said, call immediately, we, we need some help. Um, it turns out that her mother uh, had passed away the night before. She had a sudden cardiac arrest, heart attack and died. Hmm. And she lives in another state. So they needed some place to take their dog and said so they'd know nothing, like, what do you do? Couldn't take their dog. Can't leave. Cats, obviously, they weren't worried about. So, and they said, you know, no one in the neighborhood. We just didn't know who to call. So they called us. And um, I, it's not our norm, but what's our norm? So um, I put out a text to like five people just here's the situation. Within minutes, all this problem solving, all this brainstorming, this thread. And I was so just. Are you kidding me? I mean, just such creative ideas. Um, I'll pay for boarding. I'll board. I'll pay for someone else to dog sit. Um, we can let's tag team go over and you do this day, I'll do that day. So, all the net net is that uh, someone, Erica, actually ended up taking and fostering for a couple of days, Aww. dog sitting for a couple of days. while this, And we went over to see the family to, enter, you know, Caitlin and I to meet the animals and, you know, cause I hadn't been, you know, that familiar with the dog and get the keys. I mean, we didn't know if I transported animals one time for these people. And now months later they are handing me their keys and saying, take care of my animal and we'll be wow. back in two days. And we did it. And Erica took took the dog and, um, it was just beautiful and, and was such huge help for these people, um, without a lot, with, with feel good effort on our end. Um, and that, those, that's the kind of work we're doing that's very creative. And then out of that comes, okay, well we, you know, there's this ongoing problem of a foster in those kind of situations for someone. So, you know, that's another, thing that we realize, oh, okay, let's start thinking about how we can do this so we don't have to quickly figure it out, because we're not going to be able to all come to the table at the same time. time. Right, right. And something's always coming up. And it's always unpredictable. Always unpredictable. It always takes more than just, okay, here's the SOP execute. It's (laughs) always... And that's why I love working with you and other, you know, like all the people that I am working with on this charge. Because everybody is a sit back, let's be creative and and problem solve our way out of this, and let's not try to put any rigid parameters around it because this is not going to work. This isn't the kind right. of work to do that. Um, there's no manual. Yeah, there's no manual. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's. I'm we're meeting amazing people. We're meeting amazing animals. Um, I think we're making a big impact. I wish our uh, data was a little bit cleaner, more organized right now, so that we could, you know, come back with a strong statistical front to say, like we really are making a difference. We can right. do that in a lot of ways. There is more anecdotal storytelling that has been our way of
0: yeah. talking about it. Yeah. I know that in the nonprofit world, you know, everything is so data oriented and data driven and you wish you could, could, you know, give these great numbers, but it's like, you know, you know, the lives that you're touching and that you're helping those people know how much, you know, and it's like, you just have to kind of be content that, that, with that yeah, to do. You so, um And our <laughs> numbers are pretty. Oh, well, I'm sure the numbers are. Yeah. But it's like,
1: like, I can't believe the numbers now after, you know, this long, I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. We really have done a lot. But I think that the stories are important because the numbers are quantifiable, but you know, for every point, if you were to give every point value, um, you know, everything is treated the same. No, it's not. Not every spay neuter is the same, not every not every vet visit is the same, not every conversation is the same. I mean, one conversation can have such an impact. And save so many lives because right. that just happens to be the person who's a big mouth.
0: Right. You know,
1: and they're not putting up with, they learn something and they have an aha moment. And so, you know, that's what we do is pride ourselves in our conversation and have more and more of that. And we, we we can run this organization for free if we're only doing conversations. So we'll never have to close our doors forever. Even if we run out of funding, I won't close my doors. <laughs>
0: you are doing such great work i'm so glad to know you i'm so glad to be part of this network of of animal people in baltimore and um I'm just you know I know we all just wish we could do more but I you know I think we we have accomplished a lot in a short period of time and that there's animal lives and people lives that have been improved because of it and you know we should pat ourselves on the back just for that much even though agreed none of us really are the <laughs> pat ourselves on the back kind of people I think sometimes yeah right right maybe there's something in that <laughs> yeah, yeah. we just always look at how much more we wish we could do but yeah you're just oh uh, you're just doing amazing work and I'm, I'm so glad to be a part of it and to know you and and thank to you. To be able to help share some of your story and, and help people find out about Charm City Companions. <laughs> Aww. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Annie from Charm City Companions. I actually received an email from her mailing list uh, at the end of 2019 saying that Charm City Companions is celebrating five rewarding years of compassion and action towards providing essential services for pet families living in poverty in Baltimore City. We are making a significant impact in many of the city's most disconnected neighborhoods through our personal embedded approach. Initially, our focus was spay-neuter services using grant funding to launch our program in 2014. Since then, families of over 1,500 cats and dogs have trusted us to transport their pets to the clinic for surgery, vaccines, flea tick treatment, therapeutic grooming, and other minor medical services free of cost. We are witnessing a shift in our clients' understanding and interest in spay neuter services as a part of pet wellness. We are now touching an average of 300 pet families a month, connecting them to viable wellness resources. I really think the type of work that Amy and Charm City Companions is doing is the future of animal welfare. Back in 2009, I had attended a conference where I heard a gentleman named Tio Hardiman speak and a woman named Lori Weiss. At the time, Tio was working with the Ceasefire program in Chicago, which is actually similar to the Safe Streets program that I had mentioned earlier. And Tio was working with the End Dog Fighting campaign in Chicago at that time. And Lori Weiss is the executive director of Downtown Dog Rescue in Los Angeles. And they are doing some amazing shelter intervention work, which I am still so inspired by today. But the message that I took away back in 2009 from both Tio and Lori was that. It's not good enough to be focused on animal welfare. You have to care about the people, too. And that was sort of the beginning of my shift in my perspective, which has then been reinforced by what I've actually seen in the community. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity to have shared this conversation and this perspective with you today. If this is something that you're interested in, I'll have links in the show notes to Charm City Companions so you can find out more. And also to the Pets for Life campaign materials, if you're interested in finding out more about how to start this kind of program in your community. I also wanted to mention a really interesting book that I read a few years ago. It's called Scarcity, Why Having Too Little Means So Much. It was written by a Harvard economist and a Princeton psychologist who discussed the role of scarcity in creating, perpetuating, and alleviating poverty. Okay, I know this might not sound, like, super exciting or, like, super readable, but I swear it's really easy to follow and understand, and they make a lot of great metaphors to how our time scarcity, or even if we're trying to diet and lose willpower, how all these things all sort of can be equated to the mindset of somebody in poverty. I mean, I recognize that I'm really fortunate, I've lived what some people would consider a privileged life in the suburbs, you know, there's a lot of fights that I haven't had to fight in my life. And when I was younger, I think I had a hard time understanding that, you know, I didn't look at myself as having been privileged. Um, I was not, you know, given a BMW on my 16th birthday or anything like that. And I guess that was how I defined privilege. but you know, as you go through life and and you start to learn more about some of the fights and some of the battles that other people are fighting. And I I recognize that I haven't had to fight some of those and and that that is a privilege. And I think that if you are interested, if any of your work is around animal welfare, animal sheltering, uh, dealing with any kind of problems that are created and or affected by poverty, that this book is a really great readable usable mindset. It's not like a textbook. it's um, really easy you know to read and it's a really good and interesting read. Okay that's enough of my geeking out for the moment. I was a sociology major in college with a concentration in criminal justice, and I spent a lot of time over my college, you know, education career uh, researching different programs around juvenile justice or around reducing um, recidivism rates among adult offenders, meaning people who get, you know, locked up repeatedly. Um and so I spent a lot of time like researching different programs and what were the aspects of these programs that work and, and how would you replicate them. And I know I don't do anything like that professionally. And I sort of kick myself uh, now for not having taken more advantage of internship opportunities that I, you know, that I could have done in college and, and that I didn't, quite frankly, because I had a lot of anxiety and I would have had to drive to weird places that were far away that I didn't know what this was going to be like. And, and so I just sort of stuck to what was comfortable for me at that time. But it's just so interesting to me seeing how I have sort of come full circle and and now just sort of in my, you know, in my free time, one of the things I do is is research various programs around the country, you know, that are affecting animals and and what's working and how are we able to, you know, keep animals from entering the shelter or how are we able to rehome animals more quickly and effectively and, and what are different animal shelters doing and and what works and what doesn't work and so I've probably spent more time than the average person looking into these things over the past 10 years so anyway you'll have to forgive me when I have these geek out moments that I'm sharing with you all right that's enough for today Before we go, I just wanted to thank everyone again who has left a five-star rating and review. Especially wanted to thank Gizzard410, who left a review on iTunes that said, belly rubs and snoot boops. This podcast is well done, thoughtful, and touching. Erin is compassionate to the humans she interviews, giving a voice to dog parents about their journeys into dog parenthood. We're all so different, but if there's one thing that can unite us, it's a wagging tail. So thank you so much, Gizzard410, and thank you to everyone else who has taken the time out to leave ratings and review. Also, make sure you subscribe uh, to the podcast so that way you'll always see when I've uploaded the next episode. I'm doing my best to stick to one a week, but thank you for your patience if it's not always exactly once a week. Um, Until next time, you know where to find me. I'm at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook, and I'm on Instagram at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores. And you can always email me. Um, my new email is Aaron at believeindogpodcast.com. I'll have links to all of these in the show notes. If you're interested in furthering this conversation about the type of work that Be More Dog or that Charm City Companions are doing, please feel free to reach out. Um, as you have probably heard from this uh, last few minutes, I, I love talking about this kind of stuff. And I appreciate you for listening. And until next time, this is Aaron Scott sending hugs and belly rubs.